640 Toronto presents Think Tank. Two guests, Toronto's top stories, commercial free. Now, let's meet the guests. Okay, it's like that. Absolutely. 13 degrees right now in the city of Toronto. We're getting warmer as we move along. And I have 19 and sunny skies a little bit later on. We love having our next guest on. You've heard her host on this show, of course, before on this radio station. She is Tasha Carradine. It's great to have you back. Hey, Greg. Great to be back. And I I know you know our next guest because you've been on his television show. That makes one of us. I just, you know, things get lost in the mail and nobody knows the cost of a stamp and things like that happen. Steve Pakin, broadcaster extraordinaire, who is a 640 contributor and also a columnist with the Trillium, who broke some big news about the uh, big blow up at Queen's Park uh, with uh, Sarah Jam and the NDP party yesterday. Steve, uh, they did that. Good job by the Trillium. Uh, I'm, I'm going to use the excuse that TVO has been on strike for nine weeks. That's the reason why you haven't been invited on the agenda. Yeah, that's 45 opportunities. I'm sure, I'm sure we wouldn't have gone over 45 with uh, with those uh, those particular invites. Um, Tasha, let's start with you. We're waking up to remarkable scenes this morning and remarkable audio from an 85-year-old woman giving a news conference with her daughter who flew from London Heathrow Airport to translate. I'll give the audience some of that, and then we'll talk about just the human, human emotion of this moment. Saying that many, many people, a swarm of people came through the fence. The defense cost two and a half billion shekels and it didn't help even a little bit. My mom is saying that she was taken on the back of a motorbike with her body, uh, with her legs on one side and her head on another side. That she was taken through the plowed fields with a man in front on one side and a man behind her. And that while she was being taken, she was hit by uh, sticks by Shabab. Shabab. Yeah, Shabab pe- people. Tasha, it doesn't even describe um, the worst nightmare we'd have for our parents or grandparents. An 85-year-old woman kidnapped by Hamas gunman on a motorbike hit with sticks. She was sleeping on mattresses and tunnels, yet eating the same food. Doctors checking in on her, providing medicine. She's a free woman now, and it feels like a miracle. It's a miracle, but honestly, it's 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 disgusting. There are 200 people that are still being kept as hostages. And we know the images we've seen from um, the kibbutzim that uh, the Israeli military has, has released. They haven't really seen images. They've released this. They're too horrific. We've seen something. Mm-hmm. But um, the butchery that was done, it is beyond description. Um, you know, I know war is a horrible thing. Resistance, in quotes, unquote, is a horror. This is not resistance. This is savagery and what happened to that woman shouldn't happen to anyone no matter what is going on in the world um you know the the, the individuals who did this should be prosecuted for war crimes and that is what people should be focusing on that is a call i haven't really heard uh that that is really rooting out this kind of thing wherever it happens to whomever should be priority number one for anyone who believes in democracy the rule of law and just you know civilized civilization really i want to get to that aspect of it steve it's uh it's a remarkable thing you see this uh 85 year old uh woman at the at the airport and then at the hospital um and you just can't even imagine and all you can hope for is that you can nurse her back to a normal remainder of her life at this point in time well greg nothing i'm about to say should take away from the joy this family is feeling that uh, that their grandmother their mother their their family member has been released and that is a wonderful thing but but why was she captured in the first place? And why are there other octogenarians still 
uh, under lock and key. Including her husband, and, by the including way. Including her husband. That's right. Exactly right. And I'm sure Hamas is enjoying what they think is a bit of a public relations victory because of this tearful reunion at an airport. But but let's not lose the plot here. And the plot is just as Tasha put it. There are more than 200 people still being held captive in in disgraceful conditions in, an, in a move that should never have happened in the first place. So uh, I, eyes on the prize, everybody. Don't give them the public relations victory. This this story is not over yet. There's still lots of people that need to be freed. And Steve, to Tasha's point, I think something else gets made clear, too. We played audio of a Norwegian journalist who Tasha referenced they showed and screened almost in a like a university lecture hall for about a couple hundred journalists video that they had uh, put together just so the world would believe it was that graphic. It was that brutal. And Steve, as Tasha noted, what happened two Saturdays ago? It's got nothing to do with resistance. It's got nothing to do with, hey, let's let's work harder to find a one or two state solution. It's the desire to kill Jewish people, whoever, wherever, however. And and that's exactly why the Jewish military, the Israeli military response has been what it's been. Well, I, I mean, I'm not an expert in international uh, criminal affairs, but but uh, it sure sounds like a crime against humanity to me. Mm. And not that anybody's going to be prosecuted o- over this over the years, but but I mean, let's not give Hamas the victory of a public relations coup yeah. because they let two of 250 people go. There are still there's untold misery in dozens of other families, hundreds of other families uh, in Israel as a result of these hostage takings. A hundred percent. And Tasha, it's it's difficult. None of us are uh, are experts in hostage negotiation, but I'm sure we've all talked to enough people before. We all were kids on TV watching the Iranian hostage crisis. And I, I know there's people asking already, what's the win for Hamas here? Is it about PR? But I can't see what they're getting back. And, and I, uh, yeah, to Steve's point, is it going to serve as a distraction? Because it isn't going to last very long from the brutality and, and the ferocity with which they attacked normal Israeli citizens. Yeah, the the, um, I think the calculus was it started uh, back in 2006 when there was a soldier, an Israeli soldier, Gilad Shalit, that was kidnapped um, by militants. And in exchange for him, they got uh, thousands of prisoners free from Israel. Yeah. And that calculus, I think, um, it's not going to be applied this time. Israel's not going to negotiate. Countries are negotiating. France negotiated the, the release of two hostages, for example. That happened earlier this week. Um, but I think there's that sense that, uh, you know, we, we can maybe get something out of this. And it, it's also demoralizing for the population. This, this is really designed to crush the soul, this whole attack that, that took place. It was not, like I said, it was not resistant. It was not achieved anything other than a response. And that's what Hamas was looking for. They were looking for a response, but not just for the military. They wanted to really strike terror mm. into the population in Israel. It's, it is a soul, and also the Jewish population around the world, as we are seeing, who is being also targeted now for, for I mean, it's, just, it, it's overt anti-Semitism. We're seeing cafes in Toronto yeah. uh, where people are waving Palestinian flags and screaming at them. This isn't about Palestine. This is about people who hate Jews, as Steve said. And it, it, it is a very... It's an awful place that we've come to, but this is becoming normalized. Um, you know, I, I never thought I'd see this, but uh, here we are, and we have to address it. That's Tasha Carradine speaking. Steve Pakins with us as well. By the way, Steve is in for Kelly Cotrera Monday morning uh, between 9 and noon, hosting right here on 640 Toronto. Tasha, let's stay with you because you brought it up. Mayor Olivia Chow addressed some of this harassment over, quote, last weekend in a 
tweet statement yesterday. She didn't mention the fact that, um, and I was right in this vicinity, the Gardner Expressway was nearly besieged by protesters on a very busy Saturday afternoon in the city, which could have led to a tremendous um, element of confrontation, chaos, accidents. If you're Mayor Chow, Tasha, would your messaging be different? Uh, yeah, I read her messaging, and it's very weak. Um, you know, uh, she says, I urge everyone in the city, through all the pain and anger so many are feeling right now, to not lose sight of our common humanity. Um, you know, nowhere in there, actually, do I, uh, I, see, I see Jewish and anti-Semitism, yes, I do, um, but I don't see the sense of that this is, this is out of order, and we, we cannot allow this kind of thing to take over our conversation in our streets, right? If we're going to have a conversation about solutions for Palestinians, for the Israelis, and how do we move forward? This is not a conversation. This is anarchy. This is the mob. This is people who are just venting. As a mayor, you have to say, no, no, this is not who we are, and this is not what we're going to have on our streets. We're, we're not going to allow this, because you can protest, but... Mm. You need, you know, you need to do it in a way, and we've seen this movie before in other contexts in Canada, you need to do it in a way that doesn't damage your fellow citizens and that also doesn't show hatred like this. Steve, can you get a read for where Mayor Chow's going her, uh, here? Is there a, I know we're all suspicious of politicians saying, oh, are they trying to strike the right tone with their base or their voting block? Uh, but, but to let Saturday go um, and, and send out a noontime message yesterday, I, I, I don't get the win here for people who voted for her or didn't. You know, I, I'm going to get uh, Tasha and I may may differ just a little bit on this one. I'm inclined to cut Mayor Chow a little bit of slack on this one only because uh, she's relatively new in the job. Uh, mayors of municipalities across Canada don't necessarily think of foreign affairs as being at the top of their to do list. And this has been presented. This has been sort of dropped in her lap uh, when, you know, she, she wants to talk about a new deal for Toronto. She wants to talk about housing. She wants to talk about transit improvements. She wants to talk about a whole host of things that have nothing to do with a Middle East war half a world away. And yet this is being plunked in her lap. And I get it. That's the job. The job you know, doesn't allow you just to deal with what you want to deal with when you want to deal with it. You have to deal with the unexpected. Mm -hmm. uh, but in some respects, she's kind of learning how to play the violin in public here, which is to say a steep learning curve on issues that she may not uh, be expert on. Uh, I well remember, and I think Tasha <clears throat> may have been alluding to this when she was uh, referencing it if, uh, just a moment ago. I think the Sri Lankan civil war sort of uh, presented itself on the Gardner Expressway some years ago, mm -hmm. where uh, one group just decided to take over the Gardner uh, one afternoon uh, by the hundreds, if not thousands, taking over the highway, bringing the, the movement of goods and people to a standstill at that time. A and when that happens, you know, job one at that moment is to make sure nobody gets killed, uh, because that's a very real possibility in circumstances such as this. So I'm glad the other day that there was a demonstration in which nobody got killed. But yes, now going forward, we have to think about the bigger picture and how we need to handle this going forward. And I can tell you, I heard from two police officers, a male and a female, the male I reached out to, the female reached out to me, Tasha. And like they were scared and they're like, of course, they can't say this publicly. Of course, they can't talk. And to Steve's point, that's also something they may not have signed up for. You're expected to almost do anything as a cop. But I but that circumstance Saturday guarding the Gardner Expressway from thousands of people that want on it. They didn't expect that in police college. No. And I think this goes to show also that you know, you're expecting you're expecting the police to deal with a situation that in 
I hate to say it, but you probably need a riot squad. You need people. You see other cities, like you see Paris, you see London, how they deal with protests. And the police are there with shields. The police are there. And sometimes it gets nasty, yes, but they're there to keep order. So this kind of thing doesn't happen. So people don't get mm. killed. Exactly. Spill onto public roadways. Um, it, bad things, you know, there could have been kids in this crowd. I, I, I saw the pictures. It looked like mostly adults. But still, you're going on a highway. You're trying to. <laughs> this is not... You just don't, you don't do that. You just don't do that. And I think we've lost the sense of what we will allow, tolerate, how we express ourselves. It's like anything goes and no, anything does not go. And the police, yeah, I feel for them. That must have been a terrifying thing for them too. This is Think Tank on 640 Toronto and Toronto Today at 749. That's the voice of Tasha Carradine. Steve Pakin is with us as well. Um, all right. So the city of Toronto will come to build housing. And we talk about it all the time, Steve. And it was a major electoral issue during the mayoral by-election. The city's now looking, and it feels like I've read this story about seven times in the last five months, of expanding out office buildings into residential units, office buildings that are older, office buildings that have a lot of vacant floors. I have no architectural background, and I can't even hang a photo on the wall. Ask Mrs. Brady. (laughs) But, but it does seem feasible and logical to the experts that we can do more than we've been doing. Well, here's the reality. The reality is we're in the midst of a housing crisis, and we need to think bigger. And I see that Brad Bradford, the city councillor, has asked the staff of the city of Toronto to uh, report back to him and to council on what the feasibility is of doing this idea, and and good for him. Uh, we, we do need to consider things that in the past we would not have considered. And and this may be, if we can figure this out, yeah, you and I are not going to have a discussion about the finer points of architecture <laughs> here, Greg. But if we could figure this out, and if this were doable, think of the win-win. Think about the creation of new housing in really good parts of the city where people would want to live. And think about the people that own all those skyscrapers downtown that are now you know, half empty because people hasn't people have not come back to work in the numbers mm-hmm. uh, pre-COVID. Um, they, they could have some tenants or they could have some use for those buildings again. So if it's doable, let's think it through. Let's think outside the box. I'm all for studying this idea. What's the harm in that? Tasha Carradine, I, and you're probably more more of a home rental person. You're allowed to hang pictures and, and do some stucco repair on staircases. Um, um, but but I have heard you talk so much about your hatred for red tape. And this city of Toronto seems to have tons of it when it comes to building and converting. It does. It stripped some of it away. You know, we do now allow the multiplex to uh, to rise on our streets. I don't know if it will, because as the article on this pointed out, the market's going to dictate a lot of mm-hmm. what happens here. And it's not profitable necessarily to build a multiplex um, versus to, to have a single home or in any way. I think that's like I, I agree with Steve, though. We've got to be creative on this because there is a housing crisis. And the last thing you want to is a deserted downtown Okay, that is not something in major cities uh, that you want to cultivate. And the office workers aren't coming back. So what's happening also, you're not getting the restaurants, you know, and the small, the the food courts are are not operating the full capacity, closing there because there's not enough traffic to keep them open. So if you can attract a more vibrant downtown by bringing residents into even a few of these buildings, I say go for it. It's a great idea. 
All right, let's move it to uh, the three arrests yesterday of three 17-year-olds. They were charged, Tasha, with making a bomb threat over a TTC loudspeaker at St. Patrick's Station a week ago. Caused some scary moments, caused some travel chaos. I'll give you an example. In 2000, a youth in St. John's was sentenced to four months. He was 18 years old. He made the threat when he was 17, but he got four months in jail for making a bomb threat to a local high school. I don't know if that's sort of the right tone of punishment, but we can't just pass things off as you wacky kids. It's it's these weren't nine year olds. So we have to be on guard. Is there any sense in your mind, your heart about proper punishment? I say throw the book at them. They also stole. It wasn't yeah. just getting on the PA system and saying, hey, it was a bomb. Um, and by the way, if you do that in an airport, you're going to be like wrestled to the ground in five seconds, I think, no matter what age you are. So I, I say, why is a TTC? Why should that be an exception? Yeah, they keep saying three boys, three boys, age 17, like boys will be boys. No, 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 no. Uh, youth probably would have been a more appropriate thing. They're, they're young. They're young men, almost one more year. Right. And they're voting. God help us. So I think these kids need a reality check. And I would give them this. I don't know what the toughest punishment is. But I think you need to send a message. Again, this isn't acceptable behavior. Steve, we wrestle with this all the time. We haven't even got to a trial that I think we'd all agree is going to be um, concerning, uh, devastating, but uh, yet sensational with the six girls that are charged with with murdering the person experiencing homelessness. They're charged with secondary murder. We haven't even got to that trial yet. What do you make of this case? This is a wonderful teachable moment. This is a teachable moment in as much as kids can do whatever they want if they're prepared to suffer the consequences of their decisions. And uh, three youths, it appears, have made some really stupid decisions. So let's see them suffer the consequences of their uh, inexplicable, particularly at this time in our city's history, inexplicable decision to do this dumb thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it is one of those scenarios where I had had somebody look, it, it probably cost some uh, economic circumstances. People late for meetings. People may have canceled something, had to pay 40 bucks for an Uber. It, there's a lot of ripple effect to this. And I don't know if that gets brought up in the courtroom or not. All right. We got to get to this big story yesterday from Queens Park. Stephen, we'll start with you. The NDP kicked MPP Sarah Jama, Hamilton Center MPP out of caucus. I think we talked about this last week, and I think we thought this would be the inevitable outcome, but it had a lot of drama to it. How do you regard Marit Stiles for not doing it a week ago, or do you give her praise for doing it now? It's not People want instantaneous reaction. Um, Justin Trudeau and Marco Mendicino is a great example from the summer, but there has to be a bit of a maybe almost a paper trail and a case built up in this day and age, even legally. Well, I don't want to be very judgmental about this. I'll, I'll simply say I totally understand why Marit Stiles a week ago wanted to give her MPP every opportunity to make this right, uh, given that she is a rookie in politics, given that she has only been at Queen's Park for eight months as an MPP, and given that she feels very passionately about this Palestine issue. Uh, she's married to a Palestinian. So w- with all of that background in place, I understand why the leader, whom and I, I heard your interview with her um, several moments ago, and yeah. uh, th- that was good, and I thought she made some reasonable points. Um, but here we are a week later, and and the MPP has not understood yet uh, that politics is a team sport, and you can't be out freelancing, doing whatever you want, whenever you want, saying whatever you like, and that's the problem. There are lots of independent MPPs at Queen's Park. Uh, she'll now be one of them. She has... Um, I got to tell you, Greg, I'm sad about this story, actually. Yeah. And I'm sad about the story because Sarah Gemma could have been an inspiration to a lot of people in this province uh, who are people of color and who need a wheelchair to get around. 
And had she been more of a team player and had she focused really on what her job was supposed to be, and that was being a champion for disability rights among all of the citizens, and there are many of us in this province who have physical disabilities and need that voice at Queen's Park, had she focused on that, she could have had an enormous impact on this province. And instead, and again, for reasons we understand, instead, she seems to have lost the plot uh, of what her actual job was and what her role as a member of a caucus was and the need to have trust with your fellow caucus members. And as a result, uh, she's not only going to be an independent for the remainder of her term, there's obviously no chance the NDP is going to green light her to run in the next provincial election. So mm-hmm. presumably her career is over. Tasha, Carrot, he, yeah, Tasha, how do you view it? Well, I, I think, too, I think to Steve's point, it's a missed opportunity um, for Sarah Jama to make a difference in the longer term. She won't now. And it's also it shows the, I guess, diversion that, you know, yeah, she's, a, she's the MPP for Hamilton. Her statements on the conflict with Hamas and Israel are not going to change anything. They're not going to do anything except in this case cause serious problems for her leader who had to manage them. This is a a case of freelancing. It's a case of reaction. And I do chalk it up also to this desire to be seen on social media as I'm out there. I'm speaking for what I believe. It's very tempting, I think, and for politicians today. It didn't exist before. You had mm. to get a newspaper or, or you know, get Steve to interview you, right? <laughs> or you, Greg. It's yes. <laughs> so now you have a platform. So caucus leaders or party leaders have an issue because anyone can say anything anywhere. And you see these sorts of bozo eruptions on other things. This is a serious issue, but people say all sorts of, of things, stupid things on social they can't take back, and they end up being kicked out of, of their seat um, and this is the yeah. latest example, and it's, it's 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 too bad, but I think it was the right decision in the end. Yeah, we were never asking uh, Kitchener or uh, Cambridge MPPs about the I Vietnam War back in 1972. Yeah. Uh, we just didn't that, that you couldn't get you couldn't get kicked out of caucus for that because no one thought that was in your jurisdiction. And now everybody has everything in their jurisdiction is the best way I can put it. I got to leave it there, you two. You were brilliant today. Thank you for the time. Great to be with you, Bye. Greg. Have See you, Tasha. Day.